this episode of the 10K Media Podcast. I am so happy to have with me Jessica Craig, who is a developer advocate at LaunchDarkly. Jessica, how are you? Hi, Adam. Pleasure to be here. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, where, where are you based? You're in the UK? Yes, yeah, so I'm based just outside of London. Um, so I am um, LaunchDarkly's first developer advocate outside of the US, which is exciting. Um, and yeah, I think we're we're enjoying a little bit of a delayed summer over here. So <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. better late than never. Quite liking that. Nice. But you're over in New York, correct? Yes, yes, I am. So we've we've never met. Um, but I came, you know, you came on my radar because uh, I guess our mutual friend Jennifer Riggins, who is a great reporter writer over at the New Stack, um, she wrote a piece called "Breaking Things Doesn't Accelerate." developer velocity and it sort of featured mm. it featured you yeah yeah jennifer's awesome yeah I, I actually haven't had the chance to meet her even though we live so close to one another so she's over in um, bermondsey london bridge um quite quite nearby so hopefully soon yeah. jennifer we will have tea um it's funny yeah. I, now that you mentioned that i've never met her you know this is the world we're living in now right <laughs> Everyone knows each other, but no one, no one meets. But uh, you know, things are starting to open back up. I had um, some clients so go attend um, KubeCon recently. Um, you know, it was lighter than usual, but and I think you know the conference circuit, you know, hopefully starts opening back up a little bit. Was was launched darkly over at KubeCon or? Yes, we were. Um, yeah, and I, I heard that. I heard that the footfall was a little bit lighter, but yeah. for some reason, it seemed like there was still um, a good level of FOMO. I don't know whether or not it's uh, the entire uh, sector, like a slowly. I think everyone's slowly becoming comfortable with events again. Um, I was chatting to a friend who spoke up one last week, and we we're talking about how the cognitive load with events has almost tripled because you've got to not only worry about your own comfortability levels, but everyone around you, and you, and everything is very um very, very explicitly you've got to be very intentional with all of your actions at the moment haven't you no definitely i i wasn't there um but you know i've i've done my fair share of booth duty um when i was working full time for companies you know i was at datadog for a while gremlin wherever and um you know part part of the thing is you're at the booth and you're you're engaging people and you're pulling them in for demos and you're giving them swag and like mm -hmm you can't be as yeah adamant about those interactions right you don't know everybody's comfort level and you got a distance and i think there was the you know the mass mandate at, at the event and uh, yeah. yeah i think that definitely changes the flavor of things but everyone's just trying to figure it out i mean as a dev advocate yourself are you speaking live yet anywhere or is it still mostly virtual or I am. So I'm doing a bit of a combination. So yesterday, um, uh, so yesterday I had a double whammy. I have one virtual event and one live event. Um, so they're definitely they're slowly coming back uh, with a smaller, like tighter, like attendance levels, smaller circles. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that I've seen people play around with the idea of a hybrid event a little bit more. I think we used to think of hybrid as just someone setting up their laptop in the corner and just streaming something on Twitch or setting up a Zoom room. And uh, the more um, uh, DevRel folks I've spoken to, the more we've kind of worked to sort of redefine what hybrid can be. And I know that sounds a little bit <laughs> cringy, but um, I th think given how used to virtual everyone suddenly become, you can kind of play around with 
doing like one-to-one booths or or lots of yeah I, I think I think there's a lot of exciting things to come in the sort of hybrid event space and I, I genuinely mean that I didn't used to but I actually mean it now <laughs> no, I believe it I you know I mean I think people have had mixed experiences both as attendees and also as like sponsors right it's like mm. the virtual booth sort of experience right where you're um yeah I don't know you want to create meaningful engagements and, and it's just hard and I know a lot of platforms like I think they're hopping and, and others are, are trying to solve yeah. this problem right of, of how do you do it but um you know I think there's no harm in in having virtual options right like for people who just for a number of reasons can't travel like whether it's because yeah. they're uncomfortable with COVID or you know there, there are cool events happening all over and, and not everyone can can travel for, because you know for a number of reasons. And I think it's it's a good thing to try and figure out how can we still include these people in, in events, regardless of COVID or not, right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it opens things up from an accessibility perspective, from just like a work-life balance perspective. Um, it's been really interesting actually working with um, uh, putting a, more of a focus on psychological safety in both kind of a professional and personal life and like loads of different arenas. Um, yeah, I've definitely noticed that I think one thing that hopefully will stay after um, COVID leaves is the increased empathy that everyone has for each other's situations. There's a lot of compassion going around, or hopefully that there should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that sounds uh, uh, perhaps more optimistic than, uh, than than I would be about it, but I, I hope you're right. <laughs> no, I, 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 joking aside, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, this is a shared experience that we all went through and hopefully we come out, yeah, the other end better for it it's it's interesting you mentioned the term psychological safety i mean it's mm. um because i i have a client in the incident management space and i know like the resilience space and someone just tweeted recently i think it was a conversation between nora jones over at jelly and someone else i can't remember who the other person was but they were talking about psychological safety and how important that is and it, it seems like a topic that that's coming up a bit and you know we haven't we didn't plan to talk about this, but uh, I don't know. You, what are your thoughts on on that space? Why, why do you think there's such a? It seems like there's a focus on on that now. Basically, because I think it really um, it, it can re it really does increase people's capacity to get things done. And I know that sounds like such a simplistic sentence, uh, such a simplistic argument, but um, it's. On a, on a grander scale it really works like in one of the um the actually in the event that I'm, I'm, I met Jennifer at or well, we just missed each other at um that evening um the event was closed off with a talk by Nigel Kirsten and he's um the CTO over at Puppet and he's uh, was chatting about the uh, latest state of DevOps report and he put a lot of focus on psychological safety but it was just um one of my favorite things about his talk was he found that um, his, his research found that high performing teams really work to define their interactions and the type of interactions they have. They kind of take the platform engineering model and they apply that sort of as a service systems thinking to so many areas of their business so that their culture can fun fundamentally improve. Um, I think it's easy to blame things on culture and think of culture as this fuzzy and immovable thing, but 
when we actually define the sort of interactions we're expecting of people, we give them those rails um, so that they can act with a bit more psychological safety. They have, they have a bit, they can act with a bit more conviction within themselves because um, I know one of my favorite things that he said is, is that we, we always talk about these, these highly technical concepts and sometimes you kind of got to step away from it and realize that, it's not that hard when you set someone up for, for success and give them the right documentation, give them the right guidance. Most people can probably get their wrap up and running. It's, um, yeah. No, I think that's, it's interesting to frame it in the context of productivity because like on one hand that feels, um, I don't know what the right word is. It feels like distant, right? But at the same time, it's definitely true. I have a friend um, who, he, he, he used that term. He said he felt psychologically unsafe at his job. And like, you just cannot be productive if it's a slog to, to get through the few hours of, uh, you know, of work that you got to do and, you, and, and you're yeah. worrying about those things. It's a lot of like, yeah, mental and emotional load. And I think also, and I don't know how you feel about this, um, but I'm seeing a trend in like the resilience space. I mean, for a long time, it was like all about auto remediation and AI ops and like, you know, all of these terms. And now I'm seeing it's becoming more like focusing back on the people, right? Like let's have a blameless culture to be more resilient, right? Like yeah. let's do postmortems better. Let's, you know, I have a client um, uh, who's saying, yeah, you know, MTTR is important and like reducing incident count is important. They're in the incident management space. They're called Cantaba, but they're actually launching heat maps that show like, which people are spending too much time responding to incidents? Like are incidents happening too much outside of business hours, right? Like actually caring about the people because it's easy to over, you know, make everything overly technical, like you said, but really at the end of the day, the people are the most important component of the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's totally easy to forget that we're building things for people, especially when we get so, in, um, entrenched in the systems that we're building um oh that's so interesting it's it's i, I mean like that's a that's a that's a big it's a big thing i've, I've let the more that i've spoken to um the devsecops community the more i've kind of i really respect the 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 acceptance of incidents um you know they will happen breaches will happen incidents will happen pretending that they're not will not make them go away <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I, it's totally true. I think, um, you know, uh, Gremlin's been a client for a long time and that's sort of their philosophy and, and like almost like embrace failure in a way and learn from it, right? And, and don't pretend that it's, it's not there and don't wait till it, you know, really impacts your customers to address it. And I think, yeah, a lot, a lot of the thought leadership that, that is interesting to me on the incident management side of things is exactly that, right? Like, if you're saying no incidents happened, it's not that no incidents happen. It's just that you didn't record them, right? So like, yes. instead of pretending that they're not happening, um, you might as well document them early and, you know, address them early before they snowball into like a Sev zero, Sev one, right? So like, and, and learn from them um, and, and become like a better, more resilient organization from them. But I, I think when you take a traditional organization let's say and you tell them hey failure is embrace it like learn like it's great and it sounds good on paper but i think probably traditional organizations are still they, they just want to see incidents go away they want to see the charts going down and and, and that's mm -hmm. kind of it right 
Yeah, definitely. Is, is that what, you, what you've noticed with the world of incident response that yeah, the language think, is evolving? I, I definitely do. I mean, the there's some really interesting counterintuitive thought leadership happening there. Like um, you, you actually want, at least this is um, uh, the thought of uh, John Egon, who's the CEO of Cantaba, he's ex-Facebook, and uh, talks about, you know, you actually want incident count to go up um, because, you know, the more you declare incidents, the earlier you're catching them. And then actually, as the total incident count goes up, the number of really severe customer impacting incidents go down, right? So there's like an inverse mm -hmm. relationship there. And he talks a lot about perverse incentives also, which is interesting. He's, um, there's like a, the Cobra effect. It was like the British government was trying to um, reduce the total number of Cobras uh, in, in India at some point, the same way that, you know, someone might want to reduce the total number of incidents. And so they, they put out a bounty for every Cobra head that someone bought, uh, brought to them. Uh, and what ended up happening is people just started breeding more Cobras um, <laughs> so that they could cut off more heads and, and then get more bounties, right? So, so it's actually like we have to be careful with the metrics that we set and what, what incentives are they providing, right? So if, you, if all you care about without context as a manager is total incident count going down, um, then, then it's incentivizing, you know, people to just not, not declare the incidents, right? Regardless of whether they're happening or not, um, you know, and so it's a shift in, in mindset, I think about, you know, sort of being honest about what's happening within the organization and embracing the failures and, and not pointing fingers and just trying to, to learn from it and get, and get better. Totally. Like incentivizing the wrong behavior is a problem so endemic within technology that it's it's difficult to know where to start with it at times. But um, uh, yeah, I do, I do like how as, as, a, as a whole, our language and understanding which um, and engagement in certain conversations is changing. Like with um, recent breaches, uh, I, I, I'm sure you know a lot more about this, this topic than I do, especially being involved in the response aspect and the and communicating the response from the, from the company itself but i've noticed that um whenever a company seems to blame an intern or something it's it's a, the infosec community seems to turn around and go well i mean if 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 if, it, if an intern was responsible for this level <laughs> level of mission critical security was this good leadership and yeah to put people if if you're in a situation where the intern can have that big of an impact, you know, that's not the intern's fault, right? Like that, that, <laughs> yes. that's the, that there's a, there's a structural problem there. Um, and yeah, and it's funny, like, you know, and I, look, I've never been the CEO of a, of a multi-billion dollar company that, that, you know, pissed off a lot of people and had to figure out how to, you know, but it seems like blaming the intern is probably not like, you know, the best move. And, and, and I don't know if I'm biased because I'm in a, in a, in a world where like, that will obviously be eye rolled at and people know better. Mm -hmm. But you know, maybe for the general consumer who's reading about it in the New York Times, I don't know, maybe they say, okay, it was an intern's fault uh, and I'll give this company a pass or I, I understand the problem a little better. I, I don't know, but it does seem like from a, from a legitimate, like, you know, technical perspective and from the perspective of like, you know, how do we avoid these things from happening? Like blaming the intern isn't gonna do anything because then you fire them and you're gonna get a new intern. And if it's the same process in place, <laughs> It's just going to happen again, right? So, you know, we've we've gone now for about twenty minutes without really delving into launch darkly. You know, it raised a big round uh, yes. you know, in August, and you know, 
Edith is a is a rock star, and um, you know I, I haven't met um, I haven't met her, but you know big admirer of her, and uh, yeah, Launch Dark is obviously doing amazing stuff. Because can you get into really what the offering is and and what kind of people are are using it? Um, so a feature flag is a way that you can wrap um, a feature or a particular part of your application in a bit of code that it decouples the deployment from the um, from the release process. So it means that anyone can jump into your console, your launch darkly console and see a feature that's been wrapped and think, okay, um, we're ready for customer X to have this brand new feature. Uh, we think they're ready, they've requested it, we've tested this in production and we can turn that on and we can either do a targeted rollout to say 5% of our audience, we can do a rollout to everyone with a certain email suffix, so people at a particular company, um, you can canary launch, um, but you can also kind of, um, I think where feature flagging or feature management gets quite interesting is, is where you, um, you can use it within the, uh, within security ops processes so you can create kill switches to manage incidents to be able to roll back changes quickly um, you can log uh, saml logins from your users to try to detect any unusual behavior and one of the nicest things for developers is that you can schedule timed rollouts so you don't need to be doing 2am deployments to uh, to avoid customer disruptions so if you're working on a highly visible application that's um, consumer facing or that has a lot of traffic during daytime hours you don't need to keep your, get your dev devs up at the crack of dawn to be able to ship something which is just horrible for them it's horrible for you no one likes it no one is happy in that scenario i just so. saw someone tweet out and it got a bit of attention like people used to leave managers now they leave on call rotations right like i i <laughs> i think yeah that that being woken up in the middle of the night thing is getting less and less you know appealing um you know as as we get better and better at avoiding that situation one thing i wanted to talk to you about is you know from your own personal history you're you're a dev advocate now you've been at launch darkly for about a half a year Oh, half that, about three, three months, four months, maybe. Oh, quite, okay, even yeah. less. Um, <laughs> so before that, you were, you know, you were a solutions engineer at, at, at Twilio. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a solution engineer also before that at another company. Mm -hmm. And um, I, it's interesting. I, I know people who are interested in making that transition from, you know, they just, they want to get out of their, their laptop. Although now even advocates, right, they're, they're spending a lot more time on their, on their, uh, in front of their screens but you know theoretically just talking to people engaging community they have the personality for it but they don't quite know how to make that transition um i don't know how, what what made you want to leave you know sort of the the day-to-day -day engineering world and be more of in the community i think it was a bit of a, a natural um it had a bit of a natural pull i think a lot of people that um get drawn towards devrel um and and dev advocacy um they want to see people succeed and uh, like a lot of professions i think you end up doing the job before you actually get hired to do it um certainly what um i think ali spittle um one excellent uh dev advocate over on twitter i think she works for aws amplify um she mentioned how um to be a, to, to be successful in DevRel, sometimes to move into that area, you've, you've you've got to go out and start making the content before you're you're ready to get hired to make it. Um, 
uh, I, I, rem- I remember a particular, sorry, go for it. No, I was just gonna say, I think that's great advice, right? Like is, if it's something you're interested in and, and you know, you can add value to your company just by doing it organically or even to yourself or to the community, um, you know, whether you're contributing to open source or you're, you know, helping people learn more about the topic, you're creating content, that's all things you can do um, sort of regardless. And then if it, if it really clicks and it's, it's working, it makes it easier to make that transition, right? Versus just trying to jump right into it. There, there's some work you can do um, ahead of the transition. Definitely. I think a lot of, a lot of developers see there's so much value in creating a platform for themselves online. And that's, that's excellent in terms of, of, of getting ahead in your career. But um, I think moreover than just building your platform for yourself, I think there's a lot of value in, in, in reaching out to people and forging real connections and trying to help each other through this sometimes challenging world of software engineering. Um, you know, there are, loads of opportunities out there i mean there's there's of course there's the world of open source um there's uh you can become an egghead instructor fairly easily um i think the barrier to entry is 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 fairly low the only thing that you've got to be prepared for is is getting some um is getting some criticism on your work because that's naturally what happens when you make yourself visible and you you put something out there for for criticism you you kind of need to be ready for for the feedback and um (laughs) uh, one thing that I've found myself doing quite a lot actually when I was trying to work up to creating more tutorials and more written content and putting that out into wild as um I'd log on to code mentor late at night and I'd find an engineer somewhere who I didn't know we were perfect strangers and I'd ask them to help me in go through a bit of a code review and I think working through a working through your code with an absolute stranger is such a great experience because you have no loyalties to one another you're there to inspect the thing there are no yeah there's there's no feelings to trample over so you you can really engage with the problem in a really like pure setting um yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I found that a really useful exercise. So if anyone's working on any tutorials that they're not really sure whether or not they're, <laughs> they're worthy of being uploaded, definitely jump onto Code Mentor and someone will give you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, in terms of, you know, putting yourself out there and opening yourself up to criticism, where can, uh, where can people find you? How do they follow you? So um, I'm on Twitter at Jessica Craig. Um, tweeting too often uh, <laughs> i'll be at devox on monday uh, so that'll be really exciting so that's a uk-based um uh, devops uh, centric event um over the course of two to three days uh, in the london design center and um then in a couple of weeks time we've got our annual conference trajectory um so uh, i'll be joined by what well, my my awesome colleague heidi if you haven't spoken to yet you simply must because she's just released a book called docs for developers and she's cannot sing her praises highly enough she's going to be hosting us um, this year um we're going to have uh, the likes of gene kim nick kirsten um too many other names i've definitely forgotten at this moment but yeah definitely join in it's going to be a good session that's great so trajectory comp is is when is that so that's um november 9th to november 10th Okay, great. Happening soon. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in learning more about feature flagging, feature management, definitely check out LaunchDarkly. 
I've heard nothing but good things from people who have uh, used the product. And uh, so that's launchdarkly.com. Jessica Craig, find her on Twitter, find her at events. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much, Adam. Speak to you soon. Bye. Until the next time.